Welcome to the Smut and Spice podcast, where we're living vicariously through the female main characters in reverse harems, dark romances, paranormal romances, and bully romances. We're your hosts, Sam and Sarah. In today's episode, we will be discussing the Bonds That Tie series by Jay Bree. Make sure you have read these four books beforehand because we are going to be diving deep and there will be discussion of some major spoilers. So if you haven't read the first four books in the series yet, pause now, go read, and then come back and listen to the episode. We are going to give a trigger warning for dubious consent, physical abuse by non-harem members, and torture, as well as some later discussion of child abuse. Be warned, this episode may contain spoilers and explicit content that is inappropriate for those under 18. This show is not for children. All right, so we're going to start off with just doing some world building and an overview of what this whole series is about. So The Bonds That Tie is going to be a six-book series. The first four are out right now. This series is a paranormal reverse harem that follows Oleander, who goes by Ollie. Ollie lives in a world very much like ours, except that there is a segment of the population that is gifted with special powers. I guess you can kind of think of it like X-Men. I'm trying to it's think exactly, of... <laughs> exactly what I would compare it to. Like, it, you have people who are born gifted, and then within those gifted communities, you're they're basically at war. So it's Professor X and Magneto right now. Okay. But... But you don't totally know the intentions of the resistance of why they're being like this completely, I feel like. I think there's definitely some um, people within the resistance who have some motivations that haven't been revealed yet. Mm -hmm. So all of these people who are a part of Ollie's community... Um, are gifted and they are born to be with certain partners. They're destined to be with certain partners that make up their bonds. Bonds all have a central, um, which is a person who is bonded to every other member of the bond. And once the bond is complete, everyone comes into the full extent of their powers. So we have the gifted community. And like Sarah was saying, the gifted community is at war right now. And the gifted community is at war with the resistance who are also made up of other gifted people. And the resistance believes in the supremacy of the gifted race and is fighting the rest of the gifted community for control so that they can seize control of the rest of the human population. That is their stated mission. Uh, whether or not everyone who's a member of the resistance is fighting for that same cause is up for debate. Uh, the resistance is terrorizing the gifted community and consistently kidnapping, killing, and attacking gifted communities around the world. So that's kind of where we start off with that. We have to build up that information throughout the series. It's not really, there's not an info dump at the start of this series. This is all kind of things you have to pick up along the way. Our first book is called Broken Bonds, and Broken Bonds is really our introduction to this world and the dynamics between Ollie and her bond group. Uh, Ollie is the central bond. However, she ran away before she could be introduced to her bond group and has been missing for several years. Whether or not um, she ran or was taken was definitely something that was bantered about by her group at the start, but then they got these pictures of her like working in a record store I think and they just kind of all fell under the assumption that she had just run away and 
because of the fact that they're assuming that she ran away from them and the protection that they wanted to offer her, like everyone in the Bond group except one of them are very resentful of her and really treat her like shit pretty much immediately when they capture her and bring her back. Yeah, the, the book, this book primarily focuses on her not telling them why she ran away. She kind of skirts around it, but she does say multiple times, like, I left for a reason. Like, I'm not just, like, a petulant child. Uh, But everyone kind of thinks that she's just a dud with no powers. And the bonds, her bonds, think that she's a spoiled brat. And I wouldn't put this book under bullying. But Mm -hmm. I would say that there's, like, a little bit of a bullying feeling to it in the beginning. Uh, Nothing like Hannaford Prep by David. Nothing like that. Like, it's not full-fledged bullying, but they go out of their way to make her feel uncomfortable. They go out of their way to make her feel bad. So that type of light bullying. So we learn pretty quickly from Ollie's point of view, which this entire book is in, by the way. Um, The first book is the only book in the series where we only see Ollie's point of view. Um, We learn pretty quickly that she is terrified of putting her bonds in danger and genuinely believes that her being near them will result in them being killed. Uh, So it's very obvious from Ollie's point of view that her being brought back here is going to mean the end of everything she loves, basically. Um, We also know from Ollie's point of view that she has powers, but she's hiding them from everyone. So she has told everyone that she's not gifted, that she doesn't have power, um, but she references like the monster living inside of her several times. So it's obvious to us as the reader that there's something going on. Uh, So she has to put a lot of effort in to hide the fact of how powerful she is. Uh And and she even alludes to it like, I just wish I could show everyone how powerful I am so they would shut the fuck up. But like, I can't do that right now. So we are introduced to Ollie's Bond group in this book. So we're going to do a quick rundown of them. Uh, I'll introduce them and then Sarah can kind of tell us her perception of each of them. Uh, So the first Bond group member that we're going to talk about is Gabe. Gabe is one of two of the Bond group members that are Ollie's age. She kind of perceives him as like the golden boy on the Draven campus where they are all being uh, forced to attend classes. He's a football player and he's just kind of like the guy that everyone wants to talk to on campus. What was your perception of Gabe, Sarah? I felt like Gabe seemed like the most genuinely hurt out of all of them, but honestly, probably the most willing to give in to Ollie. Uh, He seems like someone who really, really wanted a bond. And yeah, he's pissed off, but he's willing to forgive her. And I feel like out of most of them, he is the one that takes an early role in taking care of her so that she goes to school um, where the other guys can't be. Because, you know, like North is like, over isn't he like over 10 years older than her yeah i think he's like 13 years older than her yeah so and you know he's like the dad of the group but like (laughs) gabe gabe is cute he did piss me off a a few times in this book but i feel like he was pretty receptive to her being back even though he was mad and you find out more about that in the last book of why he was so upset Mm -hmm. so next we have north who is the oldest in the bond group 
he feels responsible for everyone. He is a council member, which is the group of people who are in charge of the West Coast gifted community. So he's basically like a government official among the gifted. Um, he immediately takes control of Ollie's life when she's recovered and is obviously incredibly resentful of her for leaving them. Uh, he has a tracker installed in her and like threatens her, said at one point he's going to chain her up in his basement if she tries to leave again. Um, he just takes control over her entire life. He tells her that she's going to be attending Draven, that he has her schedule already made. She doesn't get a choice in what classes she's taking. She is has to make sure that she's getting like A's and B's in all of her classes and she just feels as though he has like completely taken over her life from the get-go. I think looking back with him being pretty much 30, I feel like that's pretty late in life to find your bond. So to have like all this time without a bond and he is pretty much the most, like honestly, he has the most nurturing qualities out of all of them when you look at him later in the books. So I feel like not having that is why he's such a douche in this book. We also, when you reread book one after getting to know North more in books two and three, you see that a lot of what Ollie perceives as him being super controlling is just how he is with people he cares about. So like she sees it as he hates me. He doesn't trust me. He just wants to control every part of me. He wants to use me for like the power boost he'll get when he bonds with me. When in reality, North is like, I can only protect you by knowing where you are at all times. So I think a lot of it also is Ali's perception of his actions is different from how he means for them to come across. Yeah, I can definitely see that. All right, and next we have Knox. <laughs> uh, Knox is North's brother, uh, younger brother by a few years. Um, he is the most damaged Bond member, and he just has a very visceral hate for Ollie. Um, he calls her poison and constantly tries to upset her by bringing other girls around her whenever possible. He is also a professor at Draven and teaches Ollie and Gabe. At one point, he starts purposefully failing Ollie so that North has to take over grading all of her assignments. He is just truly a petty bitch at heart. But then on top of that, it's just very obvious that... Knox's issues are much deeper than him being resentful of Ollie for leaving. There's a lot going on there that we still don't know the extent of. Yeah, I feel like Knox would still be the same even if Ollie never ran away. He would have not been receptive to a bond ever. Uh, and we still don't know why. Uh, we can make guesses, but he is just overall a dick to her. And honestly, he's not nice to anyone else, <laughs> really, either. So no. it's just kind of overall his personality, but he's just like especially extra mean to Ollie. Next up, we have Griffin. Griffin is Knox's age, um, he is a tactical team leader. The TAC teams are responsible for keeping the gifted community safe. You can kind of view them as like they're highly trained military operatives. Um, it is Griffin's team that recovers Ollie. 
He keeps his distance from Ollie for the majority of book one until she gets her period. Uh, Ollie gets her period on the way back from a dinner that she had to attend with North. And North refuses to like get her anything to help her feel better because he just thinks that she's lying. Um, so Griffin really takes over and helps and he cuddles her at night and helps to take away her period cramps. Uh, with his powers and it just immediately shot him into first place in our hearts um he's still pretty standoffish and unsure of ollie's intentions um but just the way that he immediately stepped in and like acted as her safe place when she was feeling vulnerable just made me love him so much and the thing about Griffin is, is he can tell when people are li- is are lying uh, because he's a neuro. And I feel like that's why he starts to trust Ollie's intentions more and more. Uh, even though she does lie, sometimes he can tell when she's lying and when she's not. So when she says things like, I left because I thought I was protecting you and it's a truth, it makes it easier for her him to trust her. And when she's just like, smelling his stuff i just oh you know how i feel about smelling stuff (laughs) i love it it speaks to it speaks to sarah's omega heart it does (laughs) and the last member of ollie's bond group is atlas atlas is the other member that is also ollie's age he is the only member of ollie's bond group who isn't on the west coast of the country So when she is brought back to her bond group, he's still not there. They're only conversing via text. He texts her often and is really the only member of her bond group who is not upset with her for running away. He is immediately on Team Ollie. Towards the end of book one, Atlas shows up to support Ollie and works to make her happier with her current situation. So he just kind of surprises her outside of her dorm room one day. And it's such a sweet moment of her being like, I have another person who's on my side who's here to support me. And gosh, I just love them in book one. It's such sweet interactions. Yeah, like Atlas is team Ollie off the bat. He sends her a phone because North was tapping her original phone. And he's like, yo, that's fucked up. Like Atlas doesn't understand why North is doing everything that he's doing. Um, And Atlas is like so fucking rude to everybody who isn't (laughs) Ollie. Like, I love it. Like Atlas is like, listen, Ollie, I will fucking kidnap you and take you away from all of this. Like, I don't give a shit about any of your other bonds. I don't care about anything but you. If you want to leave, we will leave. And that doesn't change at all. Like through all four books, Atlas is always the one who is at his heart. All he cares about is Ollie. There's a moment at one point when she's talking like about the fact that something they could do could result in everyone else but them dying. And he's like, I don't think you understand. I could kill every single other person in the world except you. And it would not bother me at all. Like, I do not care about anyone but you. Yeah, he really doesn't. (laughs) Yeah, it starts to change a little bit, a little bit. But for the most part, Atlas is, and later down the line, Atlas is, like, the most chillest with her bond, too. Like, Mm -hmm. everyone else is kind of like, yo, this is fucking terrifying. And Atlas is like, yeah, she's scary and got void eyes, but that's my boo. Like, it's fine. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) So throughout book one, uh, Ollie is attending Draven, which is a college campus, and she's pretty much an outcast there. 
Um, everyone treats her like shit because of the fact that she ran away from her bond group. Uh, the only friend she has is Sage, who is a flame, and she's also an outcast at on the campus due to drama in her own bond group. So Sage and Ollie pretty much cling to each other immediately, and it's so nice to see that Ollie has an ally who is there for her and is a support system for her. Um, Sage and Atlas are really Ollie's main support system throughout most of book one. Um, at the end of book one, there is a resistance invasion on campus that results in Sage being taken and Ollie gets taken on purpose to go in after her. Uh, at this point, it is revealed that Ollie has been hiding some pretty intense powers as she is able to turn all of the resistance around her insane by filling their brains with nightmares in an instant. So it's pretty obvious that Ollie has some tricks up her sleeve that she's been hiding this whole time. All right, let's get into our overall thoughts on book one. Uh, by the end of this book, I was firmly Team Atlas 100%. Yeah, I was 100% on board with Atlas and Griffin. Uh, like, Griffin still had a way to go, but, like, I I don't know. I was just into that man. I like the way he looks. I like the way he talks. I like his <laughs> powers. I like everything about that man. <laughs> I was also so interested to find out more about Ollie's powers and her backstory as all of it was still very vague. Like we just get this peek into a little bit of what Ollie can do and then it's like immediate cut the story. We don't get any more after that. Yeah. And this book also just starts the why is Knox the way he is? We still don't know, but <laughs> it start. That's when it starts. Of like, why is he like this? And this is also uh, the book where people just think that Knox is completely unforgivable. Um, and I, I don't know. We'll have to see. Um, I also just cried so much during this book. I cried when North was being so mean to her. I cried when she was just at her wits end about like them not listening to her and not believing her. I just, Ollie felt so helpless and so out of control throughout like the majority of this book. And I loved seeing her finally be able to grab back some of that control at the end and start to like accept herself. Because if you are following along with Ollie this entire time, all she thinks about herself is that she's a monster, that she's a terrible person, that she deserves the way that these people are treating her because of the things that she's done. And it's nice to see her finally feel empowered towards the end of the book when she's able to help her friend. Yeah. All right, and getting into book two. Book two is Savage Bonds. This book picks up immediately right where book one left off, except we get North's POV of Ollie being taken by the resistance. Of course, he immediately thinks that she ran again on purpose because he just refuses to give her the benefit of the doubt. I was so fucking annoyed. And Atlas is there like, be like, you're an idiot. She didn't run on purpose. And I'm like, thank you, Atlas, for being the voice of reason here. I was so fed up with him doubting Ollie at every turn. Like, yes, I do agree that Ollie could have told them more, but, like, they didn't make her feel comfortable enough, to be honest. Like, she felt like if she did tell them everything, that it would only make things ten times worse. But it's clear mm -hmm. that she's just terrified of what's going to happen. 
So this book is really where we start to find out more, not only about Ollie's powers, but we find out more about each of the powers that her bond group has, because that was kind of shrouded in mystery throughout book one as well. So let's do a quick rundown of her bond group's powers. So North and Knox both have the Draven Shadows, which also act as the nightmare creatures. Uh, North also has what they refer to as the Death Touch, where he can literally just touch someone and cause them to die. And he also has the ability to touch someone who is dead and immediately determine the cause of death. Um, Nox, in addition to the Draven Shadow Nightmares, he also has the Dread, um, which I would say is pretty similar to what Ollie is able to do with causing people to instantly turn insane. Um, he basically is just able to fill people with so much dread that they aren't able to function. They just get lost in like the dark recesses of their mind of everything they're most scared of. And Knox does also have a third power, but he refuses to tell anyone about it. Um, so that is a mystery. Uh, Griffin is a neuro and he is one of the most powerful neuros in existence. When he talks about his powers, he discusses the fact that the majority of neuros have a specialty, like they can control one part of the brain, but Griffin hasn't found a part of the brain that he isn't able to control. Uh, in addition, he is also, like Sarah said, a truth detector. So he is able to immediately tell when someone is um, lying. He's also able to do some mind reading, which goes to his neuro powers, um, which drives uh, Ollie absolutely insane because he's just constantly reading what's going on in her brain. Uh, we also see him use his neuro powers to make others pass out. Um, and just to, in general, control the way others are acting, which is very interesting to see. I want to say, like, out of all of them, I feel like he's, like, the most non-humble out of all. Like, he's constantly, like, the limit does not exist. Like, he's, <laughs> he's, like, he's just, like, he's, like, I haven't found anything I haven't been able to do yet. Like, uh -huh. he, like he has these, like, soft brags about his abilities. And one of his cutest things that he does is Ollie gets sick every time they're transported. And he always just touches her neck and makes the motion sickness goes away. And it's just the cutest thing ever. Oh, Griffin. Uh, Gabe is a shifter who is able to shift into any known creature, which is, again, very powerful. Uh, the majority of shifters only have, like, one or two things that they're able to shift into. So it is, it says a lot about this bond group that Gabe is able to shift into any creature that is known. And then finally, we have Atlas, who is just completely indestructible. Uh, he is bomb-proof. He is also incredibly strong. He can lift up anything. Um, <laughs> I love when we get Ali's Bond's point of view. He uh, Ali's Bond calls him the everlasting one, uh -huh. which I think <laughs> is just so great. Let's go through. What are, what are Ali's Bond's nicknames for everyone? So North is the dark one. The damaged one is Knox. <laughs> Knox is the damaged dark one. Uh, Gabe, Bonded. Bonded yeah, is just what she calls Griffin. Griffin, she calls her bonded. And I think Gabe, she just calls the shifter. Uh, I, I think you're right. I just love the Atlas is the everlasting one. And I love the damaged one, too. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so it becomes obvious that Ali ran away because of the resistance and has spent time in resistance camps uh, where she was obviously held captive because when they recover her after she went after Sage, members of the resistance recognized her um, and they understand how powerful she is. So her bond group catches on pretty quickly that there's a lot more to her disappearance than what she was telling them originally. So now that she has used her powers, Ollie is running into some problems with her bond. So her bond is the being that's living inside of her. And she's basically kept it under lock and key for book one because she refused to use any of her powers. But now that she let her powers kind of come out to play in, uh, at the end of book one, we're seeing her bond being very restless and really wants to bond with the other members of her bond group. And it's leading to her losing control of herself. And she spends a lot of time in book two trying to figure out ways to cope with her bond kind of being out of control. And in this book, she definitely gets closer to Griffin, Gabe, and Atlas. Um, They are the ones that realize that they're way too hard on her and she's not running away from them. Knox is still a douche. And North is still, I feel like he's still pretty suspicious. He wants, he's the type of person that wants to know everything. He wants to know the facts. He needs every, he needs all of the information. And since he doesn't have that, I feel like he's still resistant. There's a moment towards the end of book two where he looks at her and he says, give me something. He's like, I, I know that there's more to this story. I know like that you had reasons behind what you did, but I'm still really struggling with the fact that you left. Give me just like one thing to explain it. And they end up getting kind of like interrupted in that moment. And she doesn't really give him anything. But then towards the end of book two, he finally gets that thing that he was looking for to believe her. And then with North, once he's in, he's all in. So Griffin has a point. I think it was in book three when Ollie's trying to argue something and she's like, and I know that North will be reasonable about this. And Griffin is like, wrong. North has only ever been unreasonable when it comes to you. And I feel like that is just such a great way of putting it of like, North is always the reasonable councilman, except for when it comes to Ollie. He isn't holding out throughout book two because it's the reasonable thing to do. He's doing it because when it comes to Ollie, his emotions run so high that it's the only time in his life that he's not thinking reasonably. Mm. So there is a moment when Sage bonds with a person who she thought was outside of her bond group. Um, and they find out that the resistance has been messing with bond groups as a way to fuck with the strongest bonds and gifted groups. And is this when, no, is this the fire? When she's yes. having sex with a guy? Yeah, so Sage yeah. bonds with Felix. Um and Sage was always under the impression that she was not the central, that Riley was her central. Um, and when she had sex with Felix, they end up bonding. And then she ends up nesting because Felix <laughs> Felix is a healer and he gets called to do something. And because he's leaving right after they bonded, her bond flips shit and ends up lighting the whole building on fire. Um, so she like calls Ollie in a panic to come and rescue her. And North and Ollie go and rescue her. And it's actually a really good bonding moment for North and Ollie and Sage where they just kind of have this moment of clarity 
and they're like working through this problem together and it's just a nice moment where there's no like antagonizing between Ollie and North. They're just like getting along and working towards a common goal. Um, also, towards the end of the book, Ollie goes to sleep in Griffin's room and the sheets smell like another woman's perfume, uh, which triggers her bond and it forces her and Griffin to bond. Um, which ends up being also when Ollie loses her virginity because she was a virgin at that point. And if I recall, Griffin did not treat her like a virgin <laughs> that encounter. No, he didn't. So, like, they come to after their bonds had taken over and, like, there's blood all over the street, uh, all over the sheets. And North comes, like, barging into the room and is like, what the fuck did you do? And basically it's like... They're all trying to figure out exactly what happened that triggered it. And it's also another moment where you get to see that, like, North genuinely cares about her. Like, he is like, tell me what you need. How can I help you in this situation? And Griffin is just so thrown off. Like, poor Griffin is just sent for a loop. He's like, I didn't do anything. I definitely didn't fuck anyone in here. I don't know what happened. It was it was just a terrible situation for them both. And I was so mad at Gracie, who is the woman who left her perfume all over Griffin's sheets on purpose, because it was like you led to a situation where they didn't have any say. And it was just awful. I felt terrible for them. And this kind of makes you realize, like, why he cares so much about Knox and her in book four. Yes, definitely. Because. After experiencing that, it became really important for Griffin that Ollie always gets a say when she bonds with someone because he just felt awful that that say was taken away from her. And I think now is the time where I say that my brain wants to pronounce this man's name as Gryphon. And I'm like, <laughs> every time I'm like, no brain, his name is Griffin. No I brain. know when we read these letters together, we think it's Gryphon. <laughs> but it's griffin (laughs) there's also a really great moment um when they were rescuing sage and they were on their way back they stopped for coffee and north knows uh ollie's coffee order and it's like this complex like really girly drink and sage is like side-eyeing north for it (laughs) and ollie's like north is very secure in his masculinity and it's like such a nice like light moment that north just lets them like giggle at his expense after like they just went through a really stressful situation and it's like those little moments really make you start warming up to north pretty quickly all right at the end of book two ollie is working and the resistance attacks her place of work taking griffin's sister captive she convinces kieran to take her to the camp to go after her and is willingly taken captive by the resistance in order to rescue griffin's sister the big plot twist at the end of this book is that Atlas's dad is at the resistance camp when she gets there. And it was like, holy shit, has Atlas been a member of the resistance this whole time? Like, what's going on? Why is his dad there? And it just left me so concerned about what was going to happen next. Yeah, I was on a cruise when I read this and I like texted Sam and I was like, in the middle of the Bahamas. And I was like, I swear to God, if Atlas is evil, I'm going to parrot. <laughs> she was like the sweetest one. If he like the way it leaves it, like you could genuinely believe that Atlas is not a good guy. Cause like he was so sweet and so into it. You're like, Oh my God, was this all fake? Like, 
has he been thinking this? And then we had to wait for the next book. So thanks, Jay Bree, because you caused some heart attacks there. All right. So overall thoughts on book two. Uh, Kieran, who is Griffin's second in command on the tack team, really becomes an important side character throughout this book. Uh, his sass and his friendship with Griffin make me like him so much. In book one, he was really an asshole to Ollie, like truly just so mean to her. And then in book two, after she gets back from the resistance camps the first time, you start to see him really come out of his shell more with Ollie because he sees that Ollie wasn't a spoiled brat. She didn't run away on purpose. And he starts to come around to her and we get to see more of his personality and more of how like him and Griffin get along. And it made me like him so much. Yes, I like Kieran too. <laughs> Uh, in this book, we also, uh, North and Knox's uncle is killed by the resistance. Um, and that really sends everyone in the bond group into a tailspin, including Ollie, who kind of takes some time to try to work through her feelings on the death of her own parents because Ollie's parents died and then she was immediately taken captive by the resistance. So she has had zero processing time at any point in her life to work through the fact that her parents all died in front of her and she takes a moment on one of the mornings when they're like working out and she's just like lying on the mats crying and it's so sad to like think about the fact that throughout her life she's just been dealt challenge after challenge like she has not had a break and this is also the book where we start to get BFFs, Gabe, and Atlas. And <laughs> it, like, slowly through the next books, it progresses. And we just love them so much. Especially because, like, they're kind of almost frenemies to start off with. Like, I just feel like they jerk each other around a lot. Like, hey, you fucking suck. No, you suck. But we're best <laughs> friends. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Atlas, I, I feel like... Atlas is our kindred spirit because he loves to bitch about things. And so do me and Sam. We <laughs> love to bitch about things. Yes, so, we do. So, like, he's just got that personality. So, like, him bitching and moaning at Griffin while he's training him and calling him a sadist. Like, whenever Atlas complains about anything, I'm like, yeah, I would be complaining, too. <laughs> I loved when they we were finished up training and he's like, Come on, Ollie, go kiss Griffin goodbye and tell him we will not be coming back because he's the fucking worst. <laughs> uh, there's also a really sweet scene during the funeral for their uncle when Ollie is holding Knox's hand through the funeral. And then, like, when he tries to take some of his anger out on her later, she tells him that she just refuses to allow him to be her villain. And I loved those scenes for, like, her just being, like, I'm going to be here to support you, even if you continue to be an asshole to me. We also, speaking of Knox, we also get this beautiful scene where she's sleeping in Knox's room and she wakes up to find him asleep on the couch and they're all surrounded by his nightmare creatures, just like sleeping around them. And it just sounded like a beautiful dream, like... I love the picture that Jay Bree paints there with her words. Like, I could picture it so clearly in my mind. I love the nightmare creatures so much. I love when Ollie is like, they are her puppies and they're her babies and <laughs> scratches them behind the ears. And meanwhile, everyone else is like, holy shit, she just touched it. Like, that thing eats people alive. And she's like, rubbing. And I. I know that Brutus is not a wiener dog, but I picture him as a wiener dog 
behind her ear every time, and I can't stop. I'm just like, it's just this little cute little wiener dog, because <laughs> she's like, Brutus is adorable, even though Brutus is like this like snarling <laughs> dog with sharp teeth. But I'm like, no, to Ollie, it's a cute little wiener dog, and. They just love Ollie. All of the nightmares love Ollie. Knox is so much more in charge of his shadows than North is. Um, but I love, like, Knox, the man, does not care for Ollie, but his bond loves Ollie so much. And it's a very big deal that he gave her Brutus. And Brutus is always there. So Knox always knows what's going on. Yeah. We also get to see North kind of start to realize that something is going on with his bond and with Ollie because he gives Ollie one of his creatures who she names August. And usually that creature, again, is like feral. They He has no control over them. They've bitten him before. And you start to see that maybe Ollie can really work to help heal some of the things going on within her bond group. I do picture August as, like, a Doberman, but, like, Brutus is a wiener dog in my head. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, we also see at the beginning of this that Ollie healed her whole bond group, in- including of, like, old injuries. And Knox is really upset about it because she healed his fingers that had been broken previously and, like, healed crooked. And it just makes me wonder about, like, what happened to his fingers? Why was he so attached to that injury? Like, it's there's so much about Knox's backstory that is still a mystery to us. Will we ever know? We don't know. Uh, I also just wonder, will J. Bree ever write a female main character who is not a virgin? Who knows? I mean, it makes sense in both of the books as to why she is a virgin, but it cracks me up that, like, both of her major series... All of the female main characters in her major series have been virgins. Yeah, this one, it definitely makes sense. Because, like, I can understand, like, if you are fated to somebody, like, I can understand not wanting to be with anybody else. When you know that you're going to bond with that person and never have feelings for anybody else, like, why bother? But at the same time, kind of a hoe, so (laughs) I would bother. All right, the third book in the series is Blood Bonds. Uh, This book and the next book both have a lot more of the guy's point of view intertwined, which I loved. Um, The previous two books only had one chapter from the guy's point of view and everything else was from Ollie. So I love seeing more from the guy's perspective in these next two books. Uh, The first part of this book takes place with Ollie being tortured for information in the resistance camp and the guys desperately trying to get information to rescue her. Um, the guys also find out a lot of information, uh, that Atlas has been hiding about her that he found out because the rest of his family is heavily involved in the resistance. So we find out pretty quickly that Atlas himself is not a spy for the resistance, but that his whole family are in the resistance and that Atlas was raised in that environment and that he really only left when he found out that they had been torturing Ollie for years, um, They also find out about Ollie's ultimate power, which is that Ollie is a soul render, meaning that she has the ability to rip people's souls out of their bodies. Um, And they also read her whole file and watch videos of how she was tortured by Silas Davies in the resistance camps. So the beginning of Blood Bonds is a lot of us getting 
information on Ollie's backstory that has been hidden up to this point. So we get a lot of information. So while the guys are gathering information about Ollie, she is desperately trying to make sure that she's able to protect Griffin's sister, who is also not giving any information away about her bonds. And Griffin's sister is not in a good position at these resistant camps. Um, So she actually gives her Brutus, which, of course, Knox is like, oh, I don't know why she did that. But uh, Brutus winds up saving his sister from... Uh, not great end um and this just goes to prove to her bonds of what a good person ollie really is that she would give up that line of defense to someone else to make sure that they are safe and she does it without a second thought like it never even pops into her brain that she might want to keep brutus to protect herself she just immediately is like i know what it's like for women in these camps i need to protect Kyrie before something happens to her And Brutus was not happy about it either. And she needed to be like, listen, puppy, you're going to go to her and you're going to protect her and then we'll be together (laughs) soon. Don't you worry. He loves living in her hair. So throughout all of this, it is just obvious that Ollie has always done everything in her power to protect all of those around her at all costs, no matter what it means for her and the pain that she may go through. And above all else, all this proves to me is that none of these boys deserve her ever. No one deserves Ollie. She is perfect. Mm-hmm. I feel like Jabri is really good at writing that. <laughs> like, the female main character is superior to everyone else, and, like, no one deserves them. I felt the exact same way about Lips and Hannaford Prep. Like, yeah. The amount of, like, self sacrifice that happens from the female main characters just makes you be on their side 100% no matter what. So we really get an introduction to Silas Davies in this book, who is the leader of the resistance. And I have in my notes here, supposedly, because there are some clues that could lead us to believe that Silas is not the leader that he thinks he is and might just be like a puppet for some people higher up in the resistance. Uh, He's also a sadist who enjoys torturing people. Um, He's an incredibly powerful neuro who is able to control those around him. And he was the one who was responsible for Ali's previous imprisonment for two years in the resistance camps and he has tortured her uh relentlessly over those last two over those two years before she escaped and is getting a lot of enjoyment out of being able to torture her again so ollie is eventually rescued from the resistance camp when uh kieran activates her bond Kieran ends up having to snap his own ankle Mm. in order to get out of the um handcuffs that he was in basically and then he crawls over to her while she's been drugged and like talks to her bond directly and tells her bond to take out the incredibly powerful shield that was keeping them in the camp um so ollie takes out the shield kieran is able to transport back to draven manor he like lands on the i in my brain i don't know if this is what actually happened but in my brain i pictured him landing in the middle of the dining room table (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like laying down in the middle of their dinner. Yeah, just- I don't think that's what I pictured. <laughs> but like, I can see where you got that from. And he's just like, and obviously Griffin immediately goes over to him and is like, where the fuck is Ollie? Why are you back here? And Ollie's not. And poor Kieran is like, has a smashed leg. He's got like, blood he's loss. Got blood. Like he's like in bad shape. 
He's in terrible shape. He's literally about to go into organ failure from like infection. And he's like, I couldn't. I couldn't bring her. But if you get me a healer, I'll be able to go back. So they're able to get back to the camp. And when they get back there, they find that Ollie's bond has just fully, fully in power. And she has taken out every single resistance member in the camp. And is just like torturing some people for fun uh, in one of the side tents when they get there. God, she's like uh, the only person I like more than Ollie is Ollie's Bond because <laughs> Ollie's Bond is like what we all aspire to have, confidence-wise. Um, she's just like the Bond is just you know I don't think the Bonds are ever gendered. That's true, they aren't. <clears throat> But I don't know. She's strong. We're going to call it a she because she just seems so powerful and it's in Ollie's body. But specifically, the bonds are never gendered. Uh, But it is just so fucking funny and so scary. Like, they're just like, I just want to eat souls, get fucked and get the hell out of this resistance camp. (laughs) (laughs) Her bond, it's so funny seeing Griffin's reaction to, like, the thoughts that her bond has. Griffin is the most scared of the bond, for sure. (laughs) He's like, why does the bond talk like that? That's, like, the most, like, he doesn't like it. The bond is like, okay, I could kill everyone here. I'm a god. No one is as powerful as I am. And he's like, what the fuck? Meanwhile, Atlas is like, yes, boo, you are strong. You are a queen. Eat that soul. Let's get out of here. Uh, So they finally get her out of the resistance camp. They got to get her leg healed up where she was being tortured. Um, But once Ali is back and safe with her bond, she sees that North has basically done a 180 in his treatment and perception of her after finding out her backstory. So like... That was all North needed. North needed to understand why she ran. And once he understood, he was like, okay, I'm all in. Like, he, from that point on, is like, I don't deserve you. You are everything I've ever wanted. I am 100% devoted to you. And I will do anything you need for me at any time. So her and North bond pretty quickly after she returns. And we also get our first glimpse of North's bond interacting with her. Um, He gives away a pretty big... Uh, plot point in their first interaction which is the fact that bonds are not able to hurt each other or kill each other and north firmly believes um that his father killed his bond that's why he believes his bond is so dangerous um but it really opens up a lot of theories of what exactly was going on with north's parents and that bond group because obviously everything was not right there Mm -hmm. uh We also get the bonding scene between her and North where North uses his shadows during sex, which was very hot. Yes, North. Yes. uh, Yes, it was. I I dig North's bond. Like, whew, North's bond can get it. (laughs) He's rough. He is rough. We also get a scene of North and Griffin sharing her, which was also excellent. Uh... Just all around, the smut in book three was very good. Yes. So the whole Bond group is on lockdown in Draven Manor uh, and on high alert until they're able to move into Sanctuary, which is a completely secure community that the Dravens have been working on creating for decades. Um, And once they finally move into Sanctuary, 
Ali starts going on supply runs for Sanctuary and is able to test out the power bump that she got from bonding with North and with Griffin. And it seems that as she grows in power, she's able to rend more and more powerful souls. So the resistance is sending their more and more powerful members to test out just how strong she has become. Like they're basically sending them as like sacrificial lambs of like, here, go see if she can tear your soul out so that I can see if she's getting closer to being as powerful as I am. Uh, the resistance so- truly is like a religious cult. Like, uh-huh. just sacrificing people, not giving a shit about their members. Magneto in the X-Men at least cared about mutants to some degree. Like, he thought it, they thought it was a waste of, you know, of mutant bloodshed. And that's mm-hmm. still what I don't understand about the Resistance is that they're so willing for so many gifted to die. And for what? That's why their message does not make sense. If they really wanted gifted above humans, they would not be willing for all of these gifted to die in in the process of doing this. Yeah, it does really make you question what they think the end game is here. So many people die. Like, I just picture, like, when, like, they've had, like, how many battles? And, like, she's just, like, chomping up these souls left and right. And, like, you've got, like... He- all these people like i just feel like there's so many gifted people dying constantly yeah uh so atlas is able to find some time to take her on this adorable trip out to a cave system uh in order to bond with her after they have some very long conversations about him growing up as part of the resistance uh and surrounded by family that is all brainwashed by the movement and they have this like really sweet bonding scene i loved it so much um Unfortunately, they do wake up the next morning to a resistance attack on Sanctuary that Ollie and the Bonds have to help stop. Uh, This book ends with the major cliffhanger of Sage possibly being a traitor as they have footage of her killing the shield that was protecting Sanctuary. So, Jabri is just the master of cliffhangers. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone gets worse. (laughs) Yeah. Seriously. Each one has like for these last three books has just gotten worse and worse so overall thoughts on book three north really redeemed himself for me in this book i loved him so much um there was that scene at dinner where griffin could feel the torture that ollie was going through and it was so terrible of like picturing him just like crumpling to the ground and like feeling the ghost pain of what was happening to her leg Uh, We also find out in this book that Kieran is one of Sage's bonds, and I'm so happy about that. She mentions that um, she has four bonds, so we know it's Kieran, Felix, Riley, and then there's a fourth one that we still haven't met yet, but they do know who it is. So I'm very curious about who this fourth bond is going to be. I think that we get a little... uh... We get a couple of hints of who it is, but we still don't know. But it becomes clearer and clearer each book that something is going on with, like, the Bond situation. Uh, Which I thought it was, like, super cool that you could go and get blood work and just, like, here's your paperwork, here's your Bonds. Like, how easy is that? (laughs) Like, it's not like you got to go out and find them. But clearly something's going on there. 
Yeah, it's obvious that the resistance has been messing with the results for years and if not decades. So it's going to be very interesting to see how far back this goes. Uh, the smut in this one, like I already said, was really turned up a notch. I loved all of the scenes and felt like they were really well, that they were really well done, uh, including when she was inside of Atlas's brain while he was masturbating. So she's like watching it from his point of view. And it was it was a very interesting perspective switch. It's not a surprise. Sam loves a mutual masturbation scene. I tell you, anytime <laughs> there's a book with that in it, Sam is like, I really like that. I was like, yeah, like every time there's one in there, you mention how much you like it. It's your thing. I don't think you knew it was, a, you were aware that it's your thing, but it's your thing. <laughs> I do really feel like Gabe got the short end of the stick in this book, although we do get a peek into how fucked up his mom is after losing his dad. And that was really sad. Like, I just felt really sad for Gabe in this book. Yeah, he was really put in the on the back burner. Like, he didn't really get any progression really with Ollie, except wasn't this the one where he they were both shirtless and he was holding her for a little while? Uh, that that was sweet. Gabe is still team Ollie, but like, mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, out of all of them, Gabe is the most patient. He's yes. willing to wait his turn. He he's like the sweetest out of all of them for sure like atlas is sweet to ollie but he's like a a bitch to everybody else but like gabe (laughs) gabe is nice to everyone like everyone loves gabe it's like impossible not to like gabe agreed i guess my main thing is i just do not understand how silas doesn't know who her bond group is when it is common knowledge in the bonded community at this point It just doesn't make any sense, especially when so many people are resistance spies. Like, unless the rest of the resistance is hiding this information from him as well, I don't understand why he still doesn't know. Yeah, and like with Atlas's dad being a part of the resistance, he knows all of the information. They like she tried to explain it a little bit with like Atlas's mom running interference and that stuff, and that made a little bit of sense on Atlas's side, but like. They're at Draven. Everyone knows who the Bond group is. There was obviously uh, resistance spies at Draven, too. I don't understand how no one has told Silas this information. Yeah, I I don't either. I did like that the insights we get into Atlas in this book made so much sense as to why he was the only one who wasn't angry with her at first. Like, it was very easy to be suspicious of Atlas when he came in, like, 100% in. But then when you realize that he was mad and he was, like, an asshole until he, like, saw everything that Ollie had gone through and then he felt so guilty, like, it makes so much sense that he was like, God, I'm such a fucking asshole. And then did a complete 180 just like North does when he finds out the information. But I am still mad at all the guys for being such hobags except for Gabe. Gabe is the only one who is free of my wrath. <laughs> North telling his secretary to like get the fuck out at, with how she upsets Ollie is probably one of my favorite things. Like North is like, no, my sweet baby ain't going to be upset. We're going to take care of her. Anything that upsets her is not going to go. And he's just, like, so bossy. Yeah, We like it. <laughs> All right. And the fourth book and the most current book that's out, another warning. We are going to go into major spoilers for this book. So if you haven't read it yet, don't listen to this part of the podcast yet. Go and read it first because we are going to spoil everything for you. <laughs> 
everything. <laughs> so Sage and her bonds are taken into custody while they try and figure out exactly what happened that resulted in her murdering the shield. It's pretty obvious that Sage wasn't in control of herself and that they're pretty quickly finding out that someone was controlling her when this happened. Um, in order to get more information, they go on a mission to capture Riley and Giovanna so that they can give them more information about what happened to Sage. Um, on this mission, Griffin realizes that North and Knox have bonds that are separate entities like Ollie's and is pissed that they've been hiding it because Griffin gets to see um, Ollie's bond wake up and go over to Knox and trigger Knox's bond and they're having whole conversations and Griffin is just sitting there like, what the fuck is happening right now? Can you just imagine Griffin's face in this tiny ass tent with like someone you have known your whole life and your bond with voided eyes talking about like how they are going to fuck to skirt their way around everything? Like <laughs> Griffin must have just been like losing it. Just like, holy shit. And it all starts to come together. Why? Ollie is so fucking tired all the time. It's because her bond is waking her up in the middle of the night to talk with the other bonds, which we had seen before. And I love that scene in the previous book where uh, Ollie's bond comes and she's like, can I please see him? Like, I miss him. And Knox, like, relentless, like, he doesn't want to, but, like, lets his bond come to the forefront. I absolutely love that scene. And I just... Jay Bree, please, I want to hear what these Bonds are talking about. Please. You keep, you keep taking it away from me, but I want to hear these Bond conversations. <laughs> uh, we also, it starts to become really clear that these Bonds that live inside North and Knox and Ollie are very old. Uh, and Knox finds out that they're being reincarnated and that they basically are gods. Um, based on comments made by Sage's Bond previously, not Sage's, that's supposed to say Ollie's. Let's try that again. Based on comments made by Ollie's Bond previously, they were once one being that was then split into many parts that all belong to each other. So it makes sense. Like, it's kind of like the old um, myth of soulmates. Like, they were one heart that was split in half and they have to find each other. So... It makes sense that all of these bonds were one being that was split up so that they have to find each other in each life cycle. Um, but they are destined to find each other in each life. And it also seems as though they have an enemy that is also reincarnated with them in each life that is just as powerful as they are. Because of the fact that when Sage killed the shield, she had void eyes as well. And Ollie's bond makes a comment about the fact that like that is someone who's not supposed to be here. So it makes sense to me that every time that these bonds are reincarnated to find each other, they also have like an adversary that is reincarnated as well. Sam, I have a question. What's up? Did North and Knox's dad have void eyes? Yes. So if he had void eyes, then their dad had one of these beings inside of him as well. It would stand to reason that, yes. So we we got to wonder, like, if that person has been, if that God has been reincarnated into somebody else, if their dad... It's just kind of confusing because if their dad has one of them, then then what does what's that relationship to their bonds, right? Like, it, 
Do you know what I'm saying? I do. I do wonder if, like, there are several different generations of them. Because uh, they said it's, like, the Draven curse. So, like, is there always a Draven who's a part of this bond? Is it all, like, it does lead to a lot of further questions about the way this works. Yeah. So... Throughout this book, they go on mission after mission to gather intel about their bonds and to try and take out resistance wastelands. Um, Gabe and Ollie do find time to finally bond. Um, Basically, Gabe is building their house for them in Sanctuary, and he finishes Ollie's room, and he brings her to her room, and that's where they bond, and it's so sweet. It's like the sweetest scene ever, and that's also where you find out that Gabe has been waiting for her, that he hasn't had sex with anyone else. He's her only Bond member that waited for her, and I love it so much. My heart was freaking out when Gabe said, I know I texted you right away after I read Uh it. I was like, oh my god. I I just feel so bad for Ollie. I feel like she hasn't been given, like, a proper nesting, like, for any of these. Like, Mm -hmm. just give the girl some time to, like, have sex and live in the glow. But, like... (laughs) Things just keep happening, and she has so many people that she has to make sure are happy, too. Like, I did like that. Like, after when Atlas is poorly working on his bathroom, he's like, damn, like, Ollie has so many people to keep happy. <laughs> like, I'm yep. I'm happy to wait, but oh my gosh, their, their getting together was really sweet, and... All that leaves is Knox being her last bond. And when they were in the tent, Griffin heard the bonds. They were like, hey, like, if they don't fuck soon, we're just going to take over and do it. And that just was, like, such a sore spot for Griffin. And he talks about it like, I don't want Ollie to... She should have the chance. Like, it should be Mm -hmm. her own body. They should be able to make the chance. And, And the thing is, Ollie still doesn't... She doesn't hate Knox. I think that that's one thing to note. Ollie does not have hatred for Knox. No, she, she doesn't. knows that something is wrong with him. Uh, between her and her bond, basically telling her, like, hey, you can't see what you saw. Like, the, he's, he's our damaged one. So Ollie never hates Knox, and she does want to bond with him. She knows she has to. Like, it's not an option not to bond, they have to. Yeah, so basically Griffin organizes a way for them to bond where they're still in control, where Griffin uh, basically fucks her first mm-hmm. <laughs> and gets her like in a situation where she's feeling more comfortable, and then Knox comes in, and they do complete the bond, and not, uh, Griffin forces Knox to stay there for the nesting period, and he's like, listen... If you can't do it, then let your bond take over because I, there's no way I'm letting you leave this room. And it's just like, God, Griffin is so good at taking care of her. He is. He's he like, is, I will drag ugh. your ass back into this bed if you don't lay the fuck down. And that scene in general was just like super hot because like Griffin was underneath of her. And so Knox was behind her and his bond did take over uh, during the bonding scene. Um... And she was into it. Didn't her bond come out for just, like, a quick sec? Yeah. Yeah. She was like, hey, I need a piece of this. Like When when they, like, fully completed the bond, it was like, she finally feels complete. 
And now she is a fully bonded central. And it's going to be very interesting to see what that means for her powers wise. That was the other thing throughout this book. The other guys were kind of exploring what their other powers are now that they're bonded. Atlas was able to figure out that he's able to like project a shield outside of himself. Um, And Griffin has been playing around with all of the new things that he's able to do. He's able to sense people. Um, In general, he's been pushing boundaries a lot. When we look at what Gabe is able to do, uh, when they go on a mission, they have to go to get um, Unser back. And Unser is like a human bomb, basically, and he was kidnapped by the Resistance. So at first it was just Griffin, North, and Knox go, but then Ollie feels that Griffin is injured, so she goes in after them. And Ollie's bond talks directly to Gabe and tells him to think bigger when he's shifting. And Griffin transforms into a fucking dragon. And it is so cool. The best part is that his dragon now has like its own thought process, just like the bonds do. And there's just like this line and Griffin is just like, I cannot deal with another one of you motherfuckers talking like this. Like I cannot do it. Like, like his dragon is like, I want to bring, (laughs) I want to bring all the strongest souls to my bonds feet so she can devour (laughs) them whole. She is so amazingly powerful. I'm a fucking dragon dragon and griffin is just like fucking kill me just let me die <laughs> under this tree like i cannot deal with another one of these <laughs> uh so after that whole battle they finally have like a group scene i wanted more from this group scene it was like basically just the guys running a train on her everyone except Knox, just kind of like fucks her one after the other And it was, like, I'm glad that she, like, finally had a moment to, like, actually have time with all of them. But I'm, like, I wanted more. Like, I want want more sharing involved in the group scene. Yeah, like, I felt like the hottest part was, like, when she was, like, sucking Atlas's dick. uh, And Uh North was using his shadow. Like, and then it was just kind of, like, a train. Like, it was, you know. uh, But she was in bond form. Uh, Mm -hmm. And Gabe was kind of, like, I don't know, man. (laughs) Like, that's not Ollie. And I forget what it was like. You either need to nut up or get the fuck out. No, like. she pulled She pulled the dragon out of him. Yeah. She was like, oh, if you're not going to do it, then I'm going to pull the dragon out. <laughs> so then she, the dragon came and fucked her instead. <laughs> okay, so... Then they go on a mission to take out Silas and to rescue Unser. However, Ollie feels that something is very wrong almost immediately when they get to this resistance camp. Uh, There's a person in the tent with Silas who she can't sense, and she keeps telling her bonds not to go and to retreat, and they don't listen to her, and they immediately fall under attack by something that is killing them. She has no idea what it is, but there's something very obviously killing them. So she is taking souls and funneling into energy as much as she can and as quickly as she can. But Knox is refusing the energy and keeps pushing it to North. Um, So this book ends with Knox dying and his last words to Ollie are, I'll see you in the next life bonded. Maybe I can love you right there. And God damn it. If that is just not a dagger in the heart, fuck me. Like, 
my jaw dropped when I read that last line. Like, holy fuck. Like, first of all, I don't think he's dead dead because I don't think that that'll work. I think he's either going to get resurrected or maybe he'll get reincarnated. I don't know. But, like, this can't be the end. We We still have so much shit to figure out. Yeah, I agree. I do feel like this was a good ploy by Jay Bree because so many people were unwilling to forgive Knox for what he did with uh, trying to force her bond to come out, which a lot of people, I feel like there's a lot of debate on what Knox did. A lot of people are calling it rape. Ollie doesn't call it rape. Atlas hated Knox over this. Um, so... It's it's hard to say what it is, but I know a lot of the fandom hated Knox and was unwilling to forgive Knox from what he did. I said from the beginning when Sarah and I were talking about this that I wouldn't be surprised if she killed Knox in some way. So this wasn't a huge shock to me. Um, I do want to see kind of where she goes from here because we still need so much backstory about Knox. Like, there's so much mystery surrounding him and why he is the way he is. And it's not going to be as satisfying to learn that backstory from someone who's not Knox. So I want to see what they do to kind of bring him back into the story. Yeah. Um, Overall, this book was so action-packed. Like, it was just, like, battle after battle. There are several times when Ollie mentions that she feels like someone or something is watching them. And I just feel like that is definitely going to come up later. Uh, I feel like that is directly related to what exactly the resistance has that Ollie can't sense. Um, We mentioned this earlier, but Sage had void eyes when she killed the shield, which leads me to believe that whoever was in control of her was also a god tier bond like Ollie and the Dravens. Like someone is on the resistance side that has the same level of power that Ollie and the Dravens have. Um, Which kind of makes you wonder about Silas even more uh, because I feel like it took a long time for them to figure out that Ollie has the void eyes. So I feel Mm -hmm. like the resistance knows something that we don't. Uh, Yes, definitely. Like, they wanted her to be bonded. Like, they, they wanted that. She needed to be bonded. So is there another group that also needed to be bonded? And now that they're both bonded, they can be used for, like, mass destruction? That's a good question. I can't wait to hear more about the bonds in their previous lives. I want I just- her bond and North bond fucking. Because yes. they've done it in so many lives. I can only imagine what creativity they could come up with. I just want more bonds talking to each other. I need in on these conversations between the bonds. Agreed. Um, it was also very clear that Ollie's bond can sense bond groups of those close to her because they come across this girl in the second to last battle and Ollie's bond is like save her um, because she's important. And then Ollie's like, why you have never cared about anyone else before. Why do you care about this girl? And she's like, we we save them all, even the mouthy one. And Ollie's like, wait, Sawyer. So then she calls Sawyer over and it turns out that this girl is Sawyer central. So it it is becoming obvious that one of Ollie's Bond's powers, her abilities, is being able to sense Bond groups, which I have a feeling is going to come in handy with how much the Resistance has been fucking around with the Bond groups. Mm-hmm. All right, let's do our ranking of the boys as of the end of book four. Uh, my rankings are North number one, 
Griffin number two, Gabe number three, Atlas number four, and Knox number five. I have North number one because of his just, God, he takes such good care of her. I love his interactions with her when he has her on his lap when he's attending meetings. Like, they're so cute together. Griffin and North are really vying for that top spot. Like, they're both so lovely. Gabe outranks atlas purely because of the fact that he didn't fuck around like gabe gabe gets bumped <laughs> up because he's not a hoe and then we have atlas and Knox. so for me i am just a griffin stand through and through you could hear it throughout the entire podcast i just <laughs> i love this man i think he's like perfect in the way that he lets her have her own identity and like especially like when they're doing tag team stuff like he doesn't baby her he she, he knows that she's the type of woman who needs to do it for herself uh, and he lets her do that but then when they're alone he can be the softiest softy ever like super adorable and like I know the reading her mind gets on her nerves but I feel like Ollie would be a huge fucking mess if she did not have Griffin there to be like no it's not your fault don't think like that like you know, like, he's constantly able to reassure her. Mm -hmm. Um, North, same reasons you said, and he has, like, shadow bondage. Like, come on. (laughs) And, like, there's, like, this one scene, like, where his bond has his palm on the back of her head in the carpet, and I'm like, oh my god. So, that's why North is number two. Atlas, we just love a petty bitch. Uh, And honestly, Atlas and Gabe are both third place. But, like, I had to put one ahead of the other. And Atlas, he's just always been a ride or die. And Gabe is just a little bit too nice, you know? So that's why Gabe is down. And then, of course, Knox is last. I don't think... I think pretty much everyone's ranking has Knox last. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. So closing thoughts on the series so far... I have so many Knox theories about why he is the way he is. Uh, quick trigger warning again for child abuse. I really think that Knox was being abused by North's mother. Um, and that is why their father ended up murdering her. And I don't think that anyone in the bond group of North and Knox's father was actually his bond. I think that the resistance has been fucking around with their bonds for years and that they just completely fucked up that bond group and it ended up really like completely fucking over Knox and North in a big way. And it makes sense. If the dad had void eyes and these bonds are always reincarnated to be with each other, why was he not with someone else who had void eyes? Mm hmm. Uh, I also need to know, like, is Knox going to be reincarnated? Is he going to be able to be brought back to life? Like, is, you know, Knox, what if his third power is being able to rehabilitate himself? <gasps> like, unsir. I didn't just thought of that. Like, what <laughs> if, what if, what if he what if that's why he was giving everything to north because he knew that he would be able to come back to life oh that would be so good so wow just thinking of that (laughs) right now uh and like 
the other question is, if the person that was hurting them is one of the God bonds, like, why is it hurting them? Is it, like, you know, this on... And it's just like, why? Like, why are you going to be reincarnated every time to fight each other? Like, Jesus Christ, aren't you exhausted? (laughs) (laughs) Like... (laughs) It also does make me wonder who is the true leader of the resistance. Because if they have one of these God bonds on the resistance side... I would assume that that person would be the leader and not Silas Davies. So like it makes me wonder a lot about what exactly is going on with the resistance. And like you were talking about earlier, like what are the resistance's true motives? Um, But there are four books out in the series so far out of a planned six books. Uh, Jay Bree has said that she plans to release all of these this year. Um, The next one is set to come out in June. We are just so ready to read the rest of these books. We love this series so much. It's so well done. All right. So what are we reading this week? I did my regular Hannaford property read that I do like every few months. Uh, I did that right before the release of the latest Bonds book so I could get some J. Bree in my life before reading the latest Bonds book. Um, I also read Throttled by Lauren Asher, Built to Fall by Julia Wolf, The War of Two Queens by JLA, Praise by Sarah Kate, and I read Omega's Obsession by some author that we might know. Hmm. <laughs> Me. It was, re- <laughs> it was really good. I'm so excited for you guys to read it. It's so great. Uh, I'm also reading Contradictions uh, from Sarah's Recommendation, which is a Germione fan fiction. And I am traveling traveling to New Orleans next week, so I need to find some great things to read to get me through a layover on the way back in San Antonio. So any great things that have come out so far that you think I should read, send me a DM on Instagram at Smut and Spice Pod because I need some things to get me through the airport. I have read Contradictions and The Cherry Pit, which are both Germione fan fiction. So if you haven't noticed, I still have not dug myself out of this rabbit hole. Like every couple <laughs> of books, I'm like, all right, let's do a Germione fan fiction. And I cannot recommend Contradictions enough. If you, I really wish, Sam, that we would have had read that before the podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. It's very smutty. Like it's 80% smut. Um really enjoyable. I'm like, I like the cherry pit too, but it wasn't my favorite Hermione. Um, I read Feral by Grace McGinty, which Grace can do no wrong. Uh, the Shadowbred series is just amazing. If you love Omegaverse, you gotta read it. I read Tyrant by Sarah Bailey, uh, Baby by the, (laughs) Baby for the Boss and Truck Driver by Jessica Kane. Uh, the one has a dick that's like an Arizona (laughs) green tea can. Uh, and like, (laughs) they're both just insane i also read uh praise by sarah kate the war of two queens by jla um i have plans to read zenny by rebecca witherspoon i need to read hook line and sinker by tessa bailey and probably another germione because i'm an addict but right now i am reading um i can't remember the author but it's the alien bride lottery um it's the second book and like i would (laughs) volunteer as tribute to this lottery i'm not gonna lie like they're all so resistant of it and i'm like (laughs) earth sucks like they're like seven feet tall and it's all of course it's about scents too like you scent when someone is your mate and like sam said my taurus omega heart i love scents i love cozy uh 
Yes. We're here for it. <laughs> and like Sam said, Omega's Obsession, that's coming out on April 29th. I can't wait to share it with you. You can follow me on any of my social media uh, at Sarah Blue Author. We're so excited for it. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Smut and Spice. Please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We would love you forever if you did. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Smut and Spice Pod. We also now have a Facebook page for the Smut and Spice podcast. So if you're on Facebook, we would love it if you could give us a like there as well. The intro and outro music featured on Smut and Spice is District 4 by Kevin McLeod. The link and licensing information can be found in the episode description. Thank you so much for listening.